So I'm going to try to keep us on track. You keep it right on track. I'm going to try to control you as much as possible. I'm going to uh, be very and silent. I, I, I go, this, this is going to be it, like it, uh, back. James reading. A, <laughs> it is, it is. a so, reading by James reading, Mott. I'm going to let you color as much as you want to color until you start going outside the lines. <laughs> I'm, I'm always outside the lines. There's nothing wrong with guy jokes. The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. One who got mad at us about. I thought we were very politically correct about Zalia. We made some some dude jokes. Hey, welcome back to the. <laughs> hey, welcome back I've to had, the Great I'm Time on podcast. my second large cup of. Oh, this is going to be helps. good then. Well, it's going to get even better because. Speaking of which, I have a gift here. You see this uh, little bag in front of you? Oh, yeah. You were telling me. I forgot about it. We got a, uh, a gift from Patty. A fan, you should have just said. Or probably one of our biggest fans. We got a gift from our biggest fan. And you're sleeping with one of our fans. Hey, listen. What happens what, ha- what happens <laughs> when we stop recording? It's one of the fringe benefits of being in the Great Dive Podcast. So, this is good. She uh, she just went up a notch. All right. She couldn't, How could she get any higher? She's off the charts. She's off the notch chart. So she saw she's these. Beyond notches. She, she, she comes home. She's like, I had to get these for you guys. I got a gift for, for you <laughs> and Brando from, for TGDP. I go, all right, let's see it. So go ahead, amigo. Open, right. up, your, uh, open up your gift. You're going to love this. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. Thank you, Patty. Don't let anyone ever, does it say kill your sparkle? Dull, dull your sparkle. Okay, these Don't are beautiful, dull uh, your sparkle. magical unicorn mugs. Now, I'm pouring my coffee into my well, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not even going to wash it. That's how That's how much I like it. Thanks. Thanks, Patty. You, did, you, you really couldn't go up any more notches, but kudos. Those are awesome. So yeah. those of you that saw Brando post the Great Dive Podcast dive boat, from his recent visit out to yeah. the west coast of Michigan and saw that glorious rainbow yeah. unicorn. Pegasus unicorn yes. dive boat floaty. Yeah, that thing uh, it know, took like a, a dozen people to carry. You can't really get a, a good sizing up of it, but it, it took a bunch of people to carry that. That's why I thought it'd be good for, I mean, we could carry doubles in that. Just need to put a motor on the back. Well, that's great. Thank you so much for our unicorn mugs rainbow unicorn mugs i've got uh, some other good news for you it, there can't get any more good and uh, i, I think get I, any more gooder i was gonna do it as a surprise yeah. and just show it to you next time we record <laughs> but then yeah. i was thinking about it today that if i wait to do that it's gonna be so many it's gonna be like three weeks before we actually get to mention it so it'd be almost like a month away that we get to yeah actually do anything with this but i ordered stickers Excellent. We've got stickers. You asked for them. 
we finally have the don't touch my fucking shit stickers. TGDP stickers. Well, adults call them decals. Slap them on your tanks. Slap Slap them on your bitch ass. (laughs) (laughs) Slap them on your car. Slap them on a cop car. Slap them on a bus. Yes, please. I want you to go around slapping them on cop cars. (laughs) Slap them on on dive shop windows. Dive shop filling stations. Slap them on windshields. Right in the middle of uh, somebody's... Line Slap of them on people's faces. Put Slap them on <laughs> anything that you don't want people to touch. Put these stickers on. No, but really, if uh, if you want one, go to our PayPal info at the Great Dive Podcast. These were expensive stickers, but when you're buying just a small quantity, they really hammer you. Yeah, on the cost of a stick. PayPal is five bucks. Over at uh, info at the Great Dive Podcast. Uh, throw your uh, name and address in there, and we'll send you out a "Don't Touch My Fucking Shit" sticker. Decal. Decal. They're nice. They're like they're six, decals, uh, though. They're like six inches by two inches, six by two and a half, or something like that. I'm not even gonna say anything. It's a it's a that. nice little it's a nice little sticker. It is nice little. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not even gonna say anything. <laughs> you're looking at me because you're just throwing softballs up there. Hey. Oh, I you know well, here's work. something. We got work to do. I know. Here's something though. Before we even move on, I recently moved and was out walking the dog in the new neighborhood. I'm just walking, talking to the wifey, you know, talking to the dog, taking in the sights, and uh, out of the corner of my eye, I spy our uh, familiar blue and black colors. Did you? Yeah, a little dot of colors, and it just caught my eye. So I looked a little closer. And it was a good 200 yards away. I sprinted 200 yards, and four minutes later, I could see it. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, uh, no, I ran over to, to the truck to take a closer look, and it was a, uh, a Great Dive Podcast sticker. Decal. A great, a great Dive Podcast decal on the back of this truck. Out of, out of nowhere. My wife wants me to go oh, knock on the guy's true. house. I'm like, hi, I'm crazy. <laughs> Uh, I'm the one. I'm, I'm one of those guys. Just thought I'd say hi. We, we, we should. We should go over. It. Yeah. Anyway, uh, whoever that was, uh, I hope you're listening and thanks. All right. So today we, we got uh, we got a couple of big dives to do today. Yeah, we better. Do you, anal- uh, you analyze your gas every every dive? You got your deco mix every dive. Did you bring your flippers? I got my flippers and goggles and my snorkel. <laughs> so we uh, we got through the 40s, the Cousteau days. The the DD dives, the Fargs dives, the Say we it. got into the the Hope Root dive, the the Enyo Falco big dive. We got through Samazin's big dive. We talked a little bit about old Tom Mountain, Frank Martz, you know, breaking that uh, three hundred feet plus mark back in the the early sixties. We didn't go into the physical dive too much, but they ran that record for a little while. They were big time. I I'm. Also a big fan of uh, Tom Mount. Yeah. I mean, he's another one. Yeah, another Brett one Gilliam, those, uh, Tom Mount. Yeah, another one of those cave those diving pioneers yes. that really, really set the mark. Cave diving and deep diving. I mean, yeah. Tom Mount's resume is just, you know, blow you out of the water, along with Brett and the rest of them. Those were the guys that I used to read about, you know, when I was just coming into uh, technical diving. And they were making their their marks. Yeah, and they, and they hit... You know, 360 feet mm-hmm. back in the mid 60s, yeah, and and kind of took the record over for yeah. a little while until you know a lot of folks now are like, oh, you know, we do that on a breather, and there's a bunch of folks doing it, but you got to remember, completely the time. different game, yeah, yeah it's yeah, a different game, different it's game. Di- in a different time, and it's not what it was. It's almost too, you know part of the, well, the I mean, luster is, and attraction I mean, is, this is that is it was the, very the difficult. The 60s, and these guys have already anymore. been diving for yes. decades. Yes, exactly. Yeah, but yeah, like like back in a day where. 60 feet was a deep dive, like a mm-hmm. seriously deep dive on a 
you know, typical 72 and a, you know, no buoyancy, yeah. you know, really no, yeah. no idea of balance and control going to 60 feet and yeah. 100 feet, yeah. you know, where, where, where deep dives. You know, these guys are breaking the 200 foot mark, 300 mm-hmm. feet, you know, and just going on and on and on. I don't know, very restricted, limited amount of gas. Unlike mm-hmm. today where you can, you know, take your open water class and be a 300-foot rebreather diver in a matter of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. So after that, Mark, old Hal Watts came into the game, posted a new record, breaking 390 feet with his buddy, A.J. Munns. Was that in 40 Fathom Grotto? Well, that's where he was doing a lot of his dives. Yes. And I want to get into that because Sheck writes pretty extensively, you know, when he talks about the dive he he talks about those two pretty well mm-hmm. so we're going to hit that in momentarily but then a year later watson and gruner made that big mark that kind of uh set the set the stage for a long time that held mm-hmm. and brett mentions in his book that they were uh watson and gruner were poised on their historical threshold they knew that narcosis and oxygen toxicity had claimed many of their forerunners both men were students of watts and by 1968 they had discovered the value of adaptive dives to reduce these effects they would descend together down a weighted cable attach clips to it to certify the depth Although they reached 437 feet, a new world record, both were so affected by narcosis that they could not even recall clipping onto the cable. When asked what it was like on air at 437 feet, Neil Watson replied, I don't remember. Who are you? (laughs) Okay, so in 1988, in the Sun Sentinel, there's an article that takes a 20-year retrospective look at this dive that watson did up from the deep 20 years ago neil watson went where no scuba diver had gone before even more remarkable he lived to tell about it it was written by a staff writer steven doliveria (laughs) nice nice touch grazie grazie 20 years ago As Neil Watson prepared for his attempt to break the world record for the deepest descent by a scuba diver, his left hand was handcuffed to a 440-foot-long steel cable. It was a thoughtful gesture to Watson's family. That way, everyone realized there would be a body to bury if the sharks didn't get it first. It sounds like nobody in his family thought he was coming back. (laughs) We love you. We think you're really good at what you do, but you're going to die. You're going to die. (laughs) <laughs> have a good day at work honey um reminds now, me now, of did that you joke. get the will all taken care of <laughs> reminds me of that old joke where the guy goes to the doctor and he says the doc gives him an exam doc's like you're not going to make it. it doesn't look like you're going to make it you're, you're going to die he goes how long do i have left and he says five and he says five what four <laughs> three <laughs> <laughs> that's good that's yeah. good Nothing like a good old death joke. On the morning of October 14th, 1968, Watson, then 28 years old, stuffed a double hose regulator into his mouth and slipped into the deep blue waters off of Freeport in the Bahamas. A whole double hose regulator. A whole double hose. Did, you, did anyone tell him that's not how it's supposed to be used? <laughs> Do you think there's a little bit of that 20-year-old fire and, and arrogance and like, like nothing can go wrong? attitude thrown in here 
maybe. I, but I was just thinking that he could have said the mouthpiece of the regulator. Because as I understood it, he stuffed a double hose regulator in his mouth. He did. The Hold, mouthpiece. Holding a 70-pound barbell, he descended in two and a half minutes. So he's going to work out. <laughs> As he's, he's really cocky. You're Gains, right. The arrogance, Gains, man. The arrogance <laughs> is just exuding from this man. You think those biceps are going to build themselves, man? <laughs> Not only will I do the deepest dive on air, I'm going to work out. I'm also, and they don't, I don't know if they've got this in the article, but those of us who were there uh, know he had a pack of camels with him. <laughs> <laughs> do you know, you know how, how the muscle responds to high PPN2s and high PPO2s? It's incredible. Gains. It's like a double double protein shake. They don't teach you that in CrossFit. No, they don't. (laughs) (laughs) He descended in two and a half minutes to 437 feet, three inches, breaking the world record of 390 feet. Two inches. (laughs) (laughs) But that was the easy part. Oh, of course it was. You know, getting down is always easy. <laughs> like anybody can go deep. That's easy. It's it's the getting back home. I'm going to break the record because I told my wife when I die, I want you to take my dead body and chuck it, put some weights in my arms, on my hands, strap them on, handcuff and me, chuck me the into the Mariana's trench. <laughs> he went to a, a ten thousand feet. He was down at four miles of depth. That was the easy part. <laughs> He never liked doing the hard part. <laughs> no, he said, leave the hard part for the losers. <laughs> That's why the leaves are still not raked. <laughs> At 160 feet on his descent, Watson began feeling the initial effects of nitrogen narcosis. By the time his depth gauge read 300 feet, Watson was hallucinating. At that depth, the compressed air in his tank was under so much pressure that the oxygen was becoming toxic. In effect, he was sucking poison. <laughs> Let me get this out. Let me get this out. In effect, he was sucking poison. <laughs> Is that what it says? <laughs> it's true. It is true. So not only was he lifting weights, smoking camels, but he was sucking poison. Probably had a bottle of cheap, whis- <laughs> cheap whiskey in his stuff yes. in his wetsuit. Bottle of Ripple. At 380 feet, Watson had cause for concern. Not particularly a religious man, he started chatting with God and recalls unlocking the secret of the universe. Unfortunately. Sure he does. Sure he does. Unfortunately, yeah. he doesn't remember what it was. <laughs> Here's the secret of the universe. <laughs> Son of I got a phone here's call. The, hold on. It's like, the, the hold on. It's God. He's calling me. Yeah, God, what do you want? I've given you a chance to learn the secret of the universe. What is it? You're breaking up on me. Hello? God. Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? Fortunately, he doesn't no. remember. Here's Here was the secret of the universe. Never. Never. I mean, uh, always. <laughs> no, wait, wait, wait. I'll never forget the secret of the universe. At, uh, at 380 feet, he recalled that he learned the secret of the universe. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. Dude. Mind equals no, blown. No, man, you got to listen to this, man. Dude, I got it all figured out, man. This is, this is the secret, man. This is how it's going to work. Oh, wait, I forgot. Ah, damn it. Okay, so 
Quote, you're bordering between being alive and being dead, Watson says. You begin to say, do I really want to go back up there? What's the point? This is so neat down here. What's the point? I got to rake the leaves. (laughs) I've made it this far. Why not just stay? To prove he had broken the record, the plan was for Watson to attach a clip similar to a clothespin to the bottom of the steel cable. With a slate on it that says, the secret to the universe is, and then the blank he was supposed to fill in. (laughs) (laughs) Right, he should have recorded that. However, while surfacing, Watson became depressed, thinking he hadn't attached the clip. So... But he had. He went back down. The potentially fatal tricks the mind plays on divers while descending to extreme depths helps explain why no one has broken Watson's 20-year-old record and why it's unlikely anyone ever will. Hmm. Again, remember, this is 88. 1888? 1988. 1988. There have been six attempts to break the record. All six divers have died, Watson said. According to Watson, the most recent attempt to break his record was made a decade ago by an American couple diving off of Andros Island. They died trying. They died together. At least they died doing something they love. They went down together and kept going, Watson says. Watson actually shares the world record with John Gruner, now a businessman and flight instructor in Orlando, floated down that steel cable with Watson. They figured that if one of them got in trouble, the other would have the presence of mind to help. How come Watson has all the glory, though? You know, it's kind of like you and I when we, were, uh, we get weathered out down in Florida. Yeah. And can't get on a boat. And <laughs> the pub happened to be open. And we go together. Because if one of us gets in trouble. The other one will be looking out for The other it. one can help. Not make the problem worse. No. It's not, always one up, one down. So, Not order another drink <laughs> while one goes to the bathroom. <laughs> You come back ready to leave, and then there's another another beer they're waiting for you. That is how it works, isn't it? (laughs) Then the other one has to go. Then the other one has to go, and then there's another one waiting. There's no end. No. That's when you discover the secret of the universe. (laughs) (laughs) We did discover that. Mm. Remember? Remember what it was? No. Another Uh, one. uh, (laughs) I wrote it down. (laughs) Never. I mean, I wrote it down somewhere. I think I left it on that bar napkin. Once you're below 330 feet, there's very little you could do for your buddy if he gets into trouble, Gruner said. We had a good bit of luck. We also went about it in a very careful manner. Chuck Siffrey, an ex-Navy diver now living in Fort Lauderdale, was promoting scuba equipment in California when Watson called to ask about gear for the dive. Several firms had dismissed Watson as a macho lunatic Destined for the big coral reef in the sky. Macho Lunatic. That's going to be the name of my next band. Macho Lunatic. Watson and the Macho Macho Lunatics. Lunatics. (laughs) Neil Watson and the Macho Lunatics. Playing live at the Token Lounge. No. Dismissed Watson and the Macho Lunatics. (laughs) (laughs) Live. (laughs) I'm the Dismissed Watson, and this is my (laughs) band of Macho Lunatics. There's a t-shirt idea for you. That is a great one. Macho lunatic. We got to get somebody, uh, we got to get our uh, our Photoshop guy on, on these little ideas. Note, when you hear a great idea, <laughs> make us up a t-shirt idea. Email yes. to info at I the great I think all podcast. of the t-shirt ideas should have to come from our listeners. Well, I, that's a great idea. So get to work, folks. Get to work, listeners. We did the hard part. <laughs> we, do the, we do the damn show. You come come on the, now, goddammit. You guys, guys got to come up with some ideas, too. 
I thought he was absolutely, totally bonkers, Sifri recalls. More people had died trying to break these records than had survived. I would say the odds of surviving are about 500 to 1. I think he's exaggerating. Nevertheless, after learning that Watson was in excellent physical condition, Sifri agreed to give him the scuba gear. I also heard he was an excellent driver. As a matter of fact, there's a quote you can play saying, I'm an excellent driver. (laughs) Oh, wait, that's the rain man. Sorry. I heard he had perfect (laughs) attendance in junior (laughs) high school. So you can't be all bad. Seyfried said that I volunteered to supply our equipment to him on the grounds that if he died, I'd never hear from him again. (laughs) (laughs) Can can I quote you on that? (laughs) Yes. If he dies, I will never hear from him again. Brian Brooks, a Fort Lauderdale dive shop owner, doubts that his friend's record will ever be broken. That was done in the days when diving was a macho sport. It was cool, Brooks said. Nowadays, that would be frowned upon by the whole industry. It's politically incorrect. Watson says he didn't seek the record for notoriety, but notoriety is exactly what he got. He sought it for chicks. You know that's what he sought it for. Of course. What motivates men to do most everything? (laughs) Exactly. I've gotten a lot of recognition from it, but I'm subjected to a great deal of criticism, he admits. They would practically accuse me of murder whenever someone killed themselves trying to break the record. And there you go. That's uh, an epidemic today, too, blaming someone else for your own responsibilities. I cannot be held responsible for my own actions. I was just doing what Neil Watts and the macho lunatics were doing. So Watson talked about the two most recent ones that had died Mm -hmm. in the Bahamas. And Brett mentions in his book about these same two diving in this area in the Bahamas. Archie and Ann. They had been making dives in the 380 to 400 foot range. And a discussion was initiated into the possibility of breaking the Watson Gruner record. They decided they would work together and attempt 480 feet. During the workup dives, they made 40 dives below 400 feet of water, including 25 approaching the 450 feet of seawater mark. They experienced no significant difficulties of impairment during the practice dives, and on December 11th, 1971, considered themselves ready for the official world record attempt. So, Hmm. good old Sheck Exley. Which we've talked about back in our cave diving month, back end of uh, January, early... National Cave Diving Month. February. In his book, Caverns Measureless to Man, recounts this dive in great detail. And the days and weeks and months leading up to the dive. So Archie Forfar and Ann Gunderson were friends of Shex. Forfar? F-O-R-F-A-R. Forfar. Forfar? Forfar. 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 Archie Forfar. And Anne. So Archie and Anne are uh, attempting in December of 1971, attempting a new world record. Correct. When tragedy hits. In Sheck's book, he's talking about this record building, you know, through the 60s and whatnot. And he mentions that at a at one of his club meetings with his old dive club, the Aquax <laughs> Dive Club. Remember that? Uh, the Aquax? It's like, it's like the Aqueducts. It's like Aqu- Aflax. Aquax. Aquax. The Aquax Dive One of the guys from the club, Ken Brock had stated, my old dive shop partner just set the world record of 355 feet. Three inches. This was in September of 1966. Sheck goes on to say, there was no need to explain which record. The depth record for scuba diving was the record to all divers, occupying a special niche above the cave diving records, the breath hold diving records, the distance records of Fred Baldessere, and even the depth records of mixed gas lockout divers such as Hans Keller. Despite their greater depth, 
To us, the lockout diving records were largely set by machines. The special deep submarines used to transport the divers to and from their lockout depth in dry comfort and security rather than by people. To give a record to Keller seemed to make as much sense as giving horse racing's triple crown to the jockey instead of secretariat. Well, to be fair, if you're saying that, then you think any old jackass can get on a horse and win it. It's all in the horse. So there's something to be said for the diver doing. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. You should give it. That, that's that's well, still well, quite I think a, what, a what Sheck's saying when those I guys know. are saying, you know, because they're, they're, they're saying. doing it themselves, going yeah. underwater. And just... Everybody always says their, their task is the hardest. Oh, of course, because that's the only true perspective they have. Well, that's what—that's all they know. On the other hand, the scuba diving record was a record set by human beings, and the man of the hour was Hal Watts, who made my instructor an original scuba diving hero, Ken Brock, a junior partner in his Orlando dive shop. Like Ken, Hal was a genuine hero engaged in pushing back frontiers in the sea rather than the relatively senseless pursuits of organized professional sports or worse, the imitation heroics of actors like our beloved Mike Nelson on the popular Sea Hunt television series. More than that, Hal was one of us, a Florida cave diver, which seemed to confirm what more and more people were saying. Cave divers were simply the world's best divers, period. Period, bitches. Now, they didn't have any real decompression tables available for mixed gases. Yes, they went to my open water instructor, Randy Bohr. Randy Bohr. Yeah. To uh, make them tables. Yes. Randy was, uh, he worked for Lockheed. Yeah, but when, yes. uh, what year was this? Uh, he was my open inst- water instructor in 1984. So early 80s, he was making making tables? He would do it for whoever. Okay. I mean, whenever. He, he, was, uh, he worked for Lockheed. He was a brainiac. Got it. But he was into cave diving. He would talk a lot about cave diving when he was teaching. They were using compressed air. It was cheap, universally available. But its principal components, nitrogen and oxygen, become narcotic or even toxic below 130 feet, which is what we've been talking about quite extensively these last couple of weeks. Breathing air at such depths can cause divers to black out with little or no warning or even convulse and drown. The problem becomes progressively worse with increased depth and time. Throughout years of diving at 40 Fathom Grotto, Hal had discovered several narcosis management techniques, including acclimation through a series of progressively deeper dives at relatively short intervals. These techniques were of benefit to the entire diving community, helping us all make safer dives. That's not to say that Hal's exploits were not controversial. Some diving organizations and publications called his 355-foot dive with Herb Johnson and his 390-foot record dive with A.J. Munns the following year, suicidal. Yes. We're looking at <laughs> yeah, nearly 400 feet yeah. back in the 60s on air, already a slew of fatalities, and, uh, and, these, yeah. and a couple of these guys are saying, we can push it deeper, we can push it deeper. You, and you're always going to have that other side that says, because you're attempting to do something that's difficult or yet to be done, you're promoting a, an unsafe practice. Because... There are people that are going to mimic you. You know, it's just like uh, the old jackass show or whatnot. When people see shit, they want to do it. They think they can do it. Correct. So and, you're going to get the you're going to get the copycats. You're going to get the yeah. mimickers. You're going to get the people that have that quest for wanting to do the same thing. But they're on a little bit of a different journey. Well, that I I look at it as you know weeding out the herd or thinning the herd is the not so bright look at it and go oh he did it. They don't see all the planning. They don't do any research. They think they can just go do whatever this other person well, has yeah, done. Well, yeah, because the 390 is the new 
springboard. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that's where they start as the well, three. Well, no matter where it was, you know, they it always. But there are people that approach it smartly and wisely, become educated, and try to f- figure out a way. And of course, some of those people do die, but the, you can't fault the human race for trying to break records. And and that's what I look at these articles that you know condemn. Hal Watts and, and Neil Watson and these people for for trying to break the records or for trying to push the human experience further and further, they're condemning them because they say other people will copy you. Let them, I mean, my thing is let them copy. If they die, they, I'm sorry, you know, I'm not like, yeah, people need to die, but I am like, if you're stupid enough to think that you can just strap on a tank and drop in the water, maybe the planet doesn't have a need for you. <laughs> Or you can serve as a bad example. I mean, everybody is useful. You can always serve as a bad example. Can you say that in a more politically correct way? No. (laughs) Fuck that. I'm not a fan of political correctness. Can you you say that in a kinder way? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I know people are like, you know, he, Brando's a dick. He, he doesn't care who dies. And that's not true. I, no. I do uh, care. Meanwhile, on Andros Island, preparations for the record attempt were progressing rapidly using Hal's technique of depth acclimation. And handcuffing to the cable. <laughs> so these guys, uh, the three, and I believe this is Anne. Archibald and Anne. Archie, Anne, and their buddy Jim Lockwood, I believe. Jimbo. The three had gradually built up to dives of 400 feet and even deeper, encountering bizarre symptoms of severe narcosis, total blindness, temporary and permanent amnesia, and even total loss of consciousness. And even some things they can't remember. (laughs) And even knowing the secret of the universe. In the latter event, the diver would appear to go to sleep with his (laughs) eyes open and even... And if not helped, would lie on the bottom, continuing to breathe until his air was gone. Then he would go to his snorkel. Fortunately, using drop-away weights in conjunction with the new buoyancy compensator vests and Frank Martz's automatic injection system, Archie had designed a foolproof method of surviving such a depth blackout. When one of the three blacked out, the weights would drop and the diver would float up to a depth where consciousness would be regained. It was foolproof until Fool. Archie and Andy. <laughs> totally <laughs> foolproof. We cannot lose. Do you understand? I have a system. This this sounds like a um, uh, this sounds like a eighties movie. It's like oh, weird science. We can't lose. What was his name? What was that Hughes, um, Hughes guy that did all those movies like Breakfast Club? Oh, John Hughes. John, so yeah, it sounds John like Hughes. a John Hughes movie. <laughs> it's it's foolproof. foolproof. And then there's like the, the music montage. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And Sheedy, Ali Sheedy would come across the screen. And who's the other guy? Molly Ringwald. Molly Ringwald. No, she's in this movie. Anthony Michael Hall. Molly Ringwald sitting on the boat, just like angry. Judd Hirsch. Is it Judd Hirsch? Yeah, Judd Hirsch. Angry that they no, didn't bring Judd. the right bathing suit that she wanted. To wear. <laughs> <laughs> Arms folded. Just put it. And then Rob Lowe would come over and talk to you. Make it all better. Or Emilio Estes. One danger remained. Duh. <laughs> the possibility that the diver would not awaken until above the first decompression stop necessary to avoid the bends. Hmm. A support team was needed to catch the deep divers on their ascent. Archie, <laughs> we're going to go so deep that you just fucking black out, man. <laughs> but I got this system. It's gonna it pops you. It just pops you. Up, yeah. 
Well, we need a te- team of divers there to catch us. hover and catch us before we so hit. So we don't just cork yeah, all the way blow to the our deco. <laughs> you don't want to blow deco. Archie did not want to repeat the mistakes of Hans Keller, where two relatively inexperienced divers were invited along for publicity reasons and perished. He wanted the best deep divers available. Period. My Eagle's Nest dive buddy was kind enough to recommend me. Being Sheck Exum. Mm-hmm. Who was his dive buddy? Jim Lockwood. Jim Lockwood. Yeah, I think Jim was the one that recommended. Yeah. So he goes through, uh, like, you know, they flew him over to the Bahamas. Uh, he, he met everybody, got in the water, and they uh, did a couple of test dives, you know, talked about a bunch of the, the stuff that he did. You know, some good stories in here about how Sheck had a real nasty reputation for getting seasick on boats. That's why he loved yeah. diving in Florida because mm-hmm. it was perfectly flat, calm water. And, but um, on one of the dives where they um, went out and did a little uh, test run, his buddy Jim had told him earlier that when we dive, don't look at your depth gauge until I ask you to do so. So they get in the water. They go down. They're doing <laughs> so he one, looked at they're, it. They're doing one of these little test Don't runs. think of a white elephant right now. <laughs> Why would you ask me not to do that? So, check it. I'd be going, I wasn't going to look at it. Now I got to look no, at no, it, man. You know, that would be me too. I'd be like... <laughs> Why did you say that? Oh, don't look at it. It's like the, the big button, don't touch button. Yes, <laughs> right? do not touch this button. I'm you gonna, can touch any of these buttons, except for this, this green one. one. I'm going to go outside this room for just a minute. As soon as that door touches. Double. <laughs> it's not doing anything. I touched the button and it says don't touch. Sheck writes, I resisted the temptation to look at my depth gauge, diving instead on how I felt as Jim had requested. I used my martial arts training and meditation concentration and body awareness to monitor myself for symptoms of nitrogen narcosis oxygen toxicity or carbon dioxide excess he didn't have a fitbit though because if he had a fitbit he wouldn't have to employ any of those techniques only four minutes after we started down the wall jim paused and looked at me grinning like a cheshire cat when i joined him he pointed at his depth gauge i still felt clear-headed so i didn't look so hesitated wanting to waste no time in getting to the 280 to 300 foot level that we were used to in Eagle's Nest. Jim insisted though, so I reluctantly peeked at his gauge. It read 400 feet. Sweet baby Jesus in the manger. So here, so he's thinking they're in 280, 300 feet, but they're really in four. Now he mentions in here, he, he can't believe how easy it is. Probably because he's used to doing it in a dark cave, which correct plays yeah, yeah. its and own now he's in head games. Why don't you? Right? Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah, confined space. It's dark. The only thing you see when you're cave diving is where your light goes. Otherwise, it's just black. It's just darkness. Uh, but so yeah, now yeah. being in this open blue water, you can see hundreds and hundreds of yeah. feet around mm-hmm. you. It's a whole different world. And now he doesn't admit it here because he says he's clear-headed. But he's narked. But he's narked. He's got to be. Oh, even though he's yeah. even though he's mitigating it a bit with his mental control. He's been able to acclimate himself to, to those depths, you know, with a gradual pushing of the depth, gradual increasing of the depth over time. Maybe that's part of it is the, if you just got into diving, did a couple dives to 60 and then jumped down into 200 feet, you'd be like whacked with a hammer but if you do it gradually and you expect the symptoms maybe that's one way to mitigate it i don't know when i dive i have dived deep on air it changed from day to day it wasn't for me it wasn't a like i became acclimated to it one day i would i'd feel next to nothing another day same depth i'd feel you know 
heavy effects of narcosis. Okay, so on game day, by 11 a.m., we had fought our way through the churning waves to a point above the wall and anchored there. The 300-pound engine block used to anchor the measuring cable momentarily fouled on the boat's rear diving platform. But Randy, an extraordinarily powerful diver, somehow wrestled it loose. Meanwhile, the record divers hyperventilated and cooled their faces with ice packs to slow their hearts and reduce their air consumption. A common technique. At 11.13 a.m., the six of us began our descent. Two underwater photographers from Ed Farmer's boat, Ross Ellis and Bob Knowles, accompanied us to the edge of the wall at 150 feet and stopped. As we continued down, I noticed that Archie, Ann, and Jim were having a lot of trouble sliding their clips down the cable. Nevertheless, we quickly reached 300 feet, where Randy, Bill, and I halted. The three record divers vanished below us into the deep blue amid a rising swirl of silvery exhaust bubbles. Kind of like that classic shot that we were uh, talking about with good old Hope Roots dive of just him ready to plummet off into the bubbly abyss. Mm -hmm. The bubbly abyss. You're working on your vocabulary for this book you're writing. That's what I sense, this bubbly aqueous abyss of doom. It seemed to be taking a long time for our three friends to come back up. Some of the bubbles were now rising away from us toward deeper water. Nine minutes after the dive started, I suddenly saw Jim float up under us through the veil of his bubbles, prone but face down, his body completely limp. I caught him, grabbed him by the shoulder, getting no response from his blank staring eyes. He was obviously completely unconscious. Randy grabbed his tank manifold and hauled him on up, while Bill and I remained to wait for the others. This, is, this sounds like a typical Corey dad. <laughs> <laughs> At 230 feet, Jim recovered enough to give Randy a feeble okay signal with a forefinger and thumb. So Randy... <laughs> Randy, so Randy let I'm him, okay, buddy. <laughs> so Randy let him go and returned to 300 feet to help us. Three minutes after I had caught Jim, there was still no sign of Archie or Ann. Even with my skip breathing, my air was starting to get dangerously low. Archie and Ann, deeper and breathing normally, had to be using up their air at a much faster rate. Even with my skip breathing. Something had gone wrong. <laughs> yes, so he does mention earlier that although this is a technique that's highly <laughs> controversial. <laughs> controversial and usually um, results in a passing out. <laughs> is, is mentioned to be strictly avoided. Yeah. He felt that he was acclimated enough to it that he'd be okay mm -hmm. because he knew he wanted to have a reserve of gas. So that's what he was trying to do. Well, I think if you know what skip breathing's about, you'll you'll know that it's not a. Well, you'll also know that it's. The problem with skip breathing is retaining too much CO2. Correct. So if you make sure that your exhalations are great. Anyway, don't have to go, go into that. But I just know people will say, whoa, you, you guys teach not to skip breathe in open water we do. 101. But and okay, so if Jesus, it's good, if Jesus Christ. can do it, I can do it. Uh, he says, normally this technique of slowing respiration, which greatly increases ah. carbon dioxide retention, thereby triggering narcosis and oxygen toxicity, is strictly avoided. But I was confident that I was sufficiently acclimated to handle it at 300 feet. Yes. That was what Sheck said mm -hmm. about it. Well, as long as you can get your CO2 out. I decided at once to break our promise to Archie to stay at 300 feet. It was not a decision I made lately. I kept promises and probably carry more details of secret dives that others have made than anyone else. I signaled to Bill and Randy to wait at 300 while I dropped a short distance to see what the delay was all about. 
to my dismay, Randy started down too, sensing that he was going to try to reach Archie and Ann even if they were on the bottom. I grabbed him by the shoulder and told him, don't be an idiot. Did he say that underwater? <laughs> because don't be an idiot! That's what it sounds like underwater. Well, he, he did mention... He does mention earlier that he he had developed he had developed a way of being able to talk underwater by kind of shrieking like a high pitched shriek through, through your regular. So it's probably more like a. <laughs> I've developed this new method of communication. Right now, I'm using my mind. Randy shrugged me off, yelling something unintelligible and. <laughs> Glancing up, I saw that Bill was starting to slide down the cable. Also, sign up. Now I had to be concerned about them as well as Archie and Ann. Bill, I, Randy, Archie, Ann, the whole gang. I quickly passed Bill. Then at 360 feet, Randy slowed his descent and I passed him too. When I reached 400 feet, I saw Archie and Ann far below me, outlined against the silver white background of the wall. They were exhaling bubbles and at first I thought that they were upright and headed for the surface. I looked up at Randy, pointed at them and signaled, okay. Oddly, Randy did not signal back, despite the fact that he had seemed to be looking straight at me. Hmm. Dude. <laughs> I just found the secret of the universe, man. Dude, I've got the secret of the universe. My main concern, however, was Archie and Anne. As I watched them, I finally realized that they were not moving up, so I renewed my descent. Below 380 feet, the wall changed from strictly vertical to a steep slope of about 45 degrees, and the cable curved with it. That meant I had to risk the exertion of swimming a little as I went down, but two lives were in the balance. Hmm. So now he's dropping, plummeting, and he's got to swim. He's been skip breathing, building up that CO2. Now he's got to actually do some work Sweet and swim. Baby Jesus. At about 400 120 feet, I was able to see them better. Archie faced down against the engine block, his legs kicking slowly as if he were trying to go deeper. Anne was about 10 feet to his left, slightly farther out and face down with no discernible movement. Both divers were still exhaling bubbles from their regulators. With the exception of Bill and Randy's mutual rescue from 360 feet the day before, no one had ever rescued a depth water blackout victim from deeper than Tom Mount's 340 footer. In the back of my mind, I knew that I had no chance of saving even one, much less both of them. But with them clearly in sight and only 60 feet away, I had to try. Hmm. So Gruner's dive was what, 437, right? Watson's dive, right? Gruner and Watson. So the Watson dive was 437 feet. Three inches. And three inches. Thank yes, you. Thank I you for just, the clarification. I'm all about the details. At about 440 feet, I started having trouble with my distance vision. Everything... <laughs> Everything beyond about 10 feet degenerated into a silver-gray blur of pale light and dim shadows. A little deeper, and the tunnel vision began, a certain sign of oxygen toxicity. As I continued down, the tunnel quickly tightened, and a sparkling spot like a burning fuse appeared in the lower part of the porthole. Blackout and or a convulsion was seconds away. I quickly opened the valve of my buoyancy compensator, inflator, fully and tried to read my depth gauge so I could plan my decompression. Should I live that long? So you, you're like narked out of your gourd, and you're, you're going to put together your deco. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. More power to you if you can do that. I, holy moly. Holy sweet baby Jesus in the manger. Listen, we finished this case of beer. 
<laughs> couple a couple more shots. We'll draw up. We'll finish drawing up the plans for this deck we're gonna build. <laughs> yeah, or, or no. Hey, what? Oh, you. I'm Doctor uh, Schwartz. I'm gonna be doing your hip replacement surgery next week. I'd like to go over with the the details with you. Uh, <laughs> let's meet over at Shots Bar and. Uh, First couple rounds are on me. Uh, and after after we do a few shots just to relax ourselves, we'll go over the details. <laughs> Wear some loose clothing so I can, <laughs> I can mark you up with this say. sharpie that I have. Make sure we put big bright colors on the right on the correct hip to replace. <laughs> it seemed yards away in the tunnel of my vision, but clearly showed 460 feet. That meant that the tips of my fins were hanging down at 465 plus. 465 and 4 inches. Only 15 to 20 feet away from my friends, but it might as well have been a mile. Actually, it probably was a mile. Now, it was a race to get up before I blacked out from narcosis or convulsed from oxygen toxicity. Either way, I would drown. I did not think I would make it, but once more called on my training and concentration and was able to avoid losing consciousness. By the time I had ascended to 280 feet, the tunnel vision had dilated, and I could forget about dying from narcosis or oxygen toxicity. Now I'm going to die from the shark that's been following me. At about 200 feet, I slowed my ascent and started to swim back and forth along the wall as I continued up, trying to locate the cable, divers, anchor line, or boats above me. My problem was that the diagonal route of the cable below 380 feet had placed my vertical ascent from 465 feet far from the vertical route to the boat. I knew that Archie and Ann were dead and feared the same for Randy and Bill and possibly Jim as well. As far as I knew, I was the only survivor of the six divers who had set out that morning to 300 feet. And it did not look as though I would survive for long. I was down to only 900 PSI in my twin 70s. Yikes. Far too little to decompress from. Far too little to decompress from such a dive to avoid the bends. As I continued my searching ascent, I began to weigh the alternatives. Drowning or the agony of explosive decompression. The least painful way of all was the way Archie and Ann had died. Blacking out at depth. Lucky bastards. Unfortunately, I had eliminated that alternative with the miraculous ascent I had just completed. I no longer had enough air to return to sufficient depth to black out. Fortunately, the bodies floated up, and with them was the air supply. <laughs> Suddenly, I felt something grab one of my fins violently. Shark? I quickly turned. Jellyfish. I quickly turned and was most overcome with relief when I saw Randy. He was alive. He led me to the cable, and now I knew that I would probably live if our experimental decompression tables worked for my 15-minute dive to 465 feet. The tables were designed for only 10 minutes at 450 feet. We joined Jim at the 90-foot stop, but there was still no sign of Bill Wiggins. Jim seemed to be in a daze. When he finally started coming around, it was obvious that he was very upset. Two decades later, modern decompression tables would have me decompress a total of 370 minutes, starting at a depth of 180 feet. I had actually decompressed for only 162 minutes, starting at 110 feet. Hmm. It was a very somber and quiet boat ride back to the inn. Not until supper did we feel relaxed enough to compare notes. Despite giving Randy an okay signal, Jim did not remember a thing until Ed Farmer grabbed him at 80 feet, saving him from the bends. Did did they have to, like, talk to the police or any kind of... Nope, we just... 
these these people are gone. <laughs> nobody nobody reports their is there any talk of that or no? No. No. They just let's just go in, guys. And who? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Arch, here's the story. Archie, Archie <laughs> who? We met up at the pub later. No, no, no. They Here's called the us. Story. They called us Friday. <laughs> I thought they were <laughs> with they, you. Said they were going to Vegas. <laughs> Never heard of them. On our hopeless rescue attempt, Bill had halted after descending only a short distance and returned to 300 feet, certain that he would have the Herculean task of catching possibly as many as four divers as they came floating up. Randy did not respond to my signals at 400 feet because he was totally blind at that point. He yelled at me and immediately used his vest to go up. What had happened to Archie's fail-safe system of drop-away weights? It's fail-safe. I'm telling you, we can't lose. Jim reported that the diagonal route of the cable below 380 feet made sliding the undersized clips too difficult on the fail-safe system. (laughs) So they had to make a management decision to just do away with those clips. Jim told us he started to black out at 400 feet and remembered opening the inflator on his vest before losing consciousness. It was probably a good thing that he had not been able to go below 400 feet. If he had done so, he would have come up like I did, far from where we were waiting for him. I might not have seen him or been able to catch him, and he might have ascended too dangerously shallow to dangerously shallow depths to die from the bends. Meanwhile, I had my own private demons to wrestle with. To have come so close to Archie and Anne, probably less than 20 feet. What if I had prepared for the deep dive? What if I had not overdosed on Marazine, which I believe was his seasick medication? What if I had used a good regulator? What if I had not skipped breathe? What if my bottom time had only been five minutes instead of 15? Any one of those factors could have enabled me to reach and save one of them, eliminate all the factors, and maybe I could have saved both. It was a bitter consolation to know that no one besides me had ever descended to 465 feet on compressed air and lived to tell about it. So the next day, a special deep submersible made the dive to pick up the two bodies. They uh, apparently slid down a slope and they ended up finding them in a thousand feet of water. Yikes. Not long afterward, Louis Holzendorf, arguably our best cave diver of the early 1970s, asked me about the dive. You know, he said, puffing on his pipe, when you look at the conditions of your dive, it was probably equivalent to making a prepared dive on compressed air to well over 500 feet. Why don't you go back and make your record official for the Guinness people? At the time, all I could do was think about Archie and Anne. You've got to be kidding me, is all I could say. You've got to be kidding me. You have got to be kidding me. Did he say it like, or did he say it in his regulator? You have got to be kidding me. You have got to be no. kidding me. No, they were long on the surface by this oh. point. But maybe he... Okay, go on. Well, Shaq kind of carried a regulator with him everywhere he went. <laughs> I was going to say, didn't he talk about like it? <laughs> okay, so, um, I'm sorry. At the end, uh, he he just finished the dive. His, uh, his other buddy said, man, if you take into account what you just did, that was like the equivalent You've of being over 500 yeah. feet. Yeah. Because he was in 465, but it was undocumented. Right. So he's like, you should go back. Without freaking out, you know, you could easily have hit over five. Well, that, you know, that's kind of like every dive master I've ever met in the Caribbean. Yeah, we dropped down to 700 feet with a 72. We do it all the time. Have you ever met these guys? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I have. I'm always like, okay, thank you. Oh, you're, says, oh, you're a deep diver? Is, yeah, <laughs> we, we dropped over the wall yesterday yeah. to 450. Just to, uh, just to go down. Just to go check it out. Yeah, it's 72. pretty cool down there. Yeah. Oh, no, I don't get narked. I'm, I'm immune to that. Well, you can, you know, it, it's interesting today because you can, you can jump on YouTube and you can yeah. look at a couple of the camera, uh, uh, or I should say mask cam. Yeah. 
you know, incidents yes. uh, that are that are posted, like the Yuri dive. Yeah. That yeah. Uh, you know where he was over there in the Hob. Hey, Yuri. are you daring me? I Yuri think his last words were, "Are you daring me?" Or his last words were, "Watch don't, this." <laughs> the last words were, "Don't tell me I can't." <laughs> don't tell me I can't do something. So yeah, so Yuri Yuri Lipsky recorded his his dive right in the blue hole over there in the Red Sea. Oh yeah, yeah. And I mean, his dive is a ill-equipped. Watch just yeah. jump in the water. I'm going to go do this dive plummeting below 300 feet and his when you watch the 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 cam video it's him flopping and flailing and crashing and arms swinging and clouds of silt and plume where he just like poisons himself with Mm -hmm. with the co2 the narcosis Mm -hmm. the o2 tox and and like everything all into one and just goes out yeah the co2 is what will put you out well yeah and what's interesting is we're gonna start talking about brett here now and and that's the thing and what sheck was saying about all of his mental training, martial arts training, awareness of his body, awareness of what was going on. He was able to control it to a certain yeah, extent. Yeah, yeah. But there he was. He's in 470 feet of water nearly, 20 feet away from his buddies. And he's, he's he realizes, it, yeah. I got to go. It's either me or them. And I got to go right now. And, and he and he, he, either, he lived with that for no, years. It, and it, It's it, either me or all of us. There is no right, way right, there's yeah, going to yeah. be one survivor or no survivors because those two were goners. Right. Right. Yeah. But he was, he felt the effects kicking yeah. in. He, he felt all those little signals that we talk about with the O2 tox. Right. You know, when you're hitting a 1.6, be aware of. Yeah. Right. This guy's down at. <laughs> and he's at. He's got to be at like three some. Well, what is it? What did you say the depth was? For? Uh, 465. 465 on air. So he's at 12, 14, 15 times. <laughs> One fifth of that, so he's at a three point So he's at a three point oh, yeah. Yikes! And starting to work and starting to struggle, mm-hmm. building up the CO two because he was skip breathing, thinking yeah. he could handle it, and all that stuff just took its toll. But and yeah, and then this is where Brett was saying, you know, uh, all the stuff that he did in preparation, yeah, for his dive. Mm-hmm. And I guess his Brett story has been a long time coming. So originally we had had the idea of kind of talking about his world record dive because right. it was written up in a couple magazine articles throughout the years, and yeah. Then, when we started looking into it, we realized there's a lot. Actually, there's four episodes worth of story. <laughs> at least four. <laughs> yeah, four and a half. We, we could have we stretched this out to many, many more. Maybe we'll keep coming back from time to time and revisiting some other ones along the way. This is not every account of every attempt. I mean, this is just a collection oh, of the ones yeah, that, we've, yeah, this is that, a, we've, a few. that we took together. Yeah. But I'll Give you a sample. But Brett's kind of a classical figure in, in diving, especially in the technical diving world, but really yeah, in diving in general. I mean, he's been at it for a long decades. Time, yeah, he's got a rich history, a great resume. And me personally, when I was just starting, you know, looking into the technical stuff, that's when Brett was just doing all this this kind of stuff. And I, you know, would read about Brett and read stuff that he would he would produce and i was just amazed him joe odom you know tom mount these guys were the big guys and of course the, you've got the guys over in wkpp and uh you know then of course george and, and jj and all these people were coming up into the technical arena and so those are the stories and 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 technical diving was really being uh birthed if you will uh birth is the right word but yeah maybe uh, more developed they, they, they were developing techniques for technical diving. they were in their teen angst days Maybe, maybe. maybe not being birth. Yeah, they were no. in their teen, teen angst. angst days. Yeah, yeah, that's more a more accurate description because, uh, well, the term was birthed, and then, you know, then everybody wanted to be a technical diver. 
and then people started dying because they were. They because thought all you needed, all you needed to do, was go was strap on tanks and go, go deeper. <laughs> then they're like, "Oh, you need uh, to change your gases up," and but they had no procedures, so they just thought, "Oh, you know, it's just like you say, throw doubles on." Oh, I need redundancy, so throw doubles on with like two first stages and two second stages and two wings and two inflators for my for my uh, dry suit and two computers two computers or four computers because two computers are what you would normally carry but you got to carry backup to your backups to your backups right. so anyway and you want different you want different computers because you want some you of want the stuff good we range. would see yes. can you remember back this one says i got 27 minutes of deco this one I'd says see, i got 36 what one do i do i'd see people and this is no joke People with between six and ten knives or cutting, I should say cutting devices, right? Because they had the trauma shears, they had the line cutters, they had several knives ranging. It was like a one little on dive each, store. One on each leg, one, yeah. on a, one on a BCD pocket. Yeah, one behind you, one, you know, I carry one in my underwear yeah. underneath in case. To, I, I to need to cut to, out of my dress. You have to be able to grab a knife from any position. Any position at all, even if you're dead. Uh there was a lot of just carry extra and carry a bunch of it all over you. And and that's where kind of the reputation of technical divers came from, that they were, you know, over-equipped. And they, the crit- criticism was technical divers were just divers who wanted to blow money on equipment and, and beat their chests at the end of the day. Correct. And there was a lot of that because uh, in those days, there wasn't a ton of instruction. So it was a lot of self, self-taught. self Self-teachings. Or you they'd know, read it on the internet. And yeah, there you go. It's on the Especially, internet. Yeah, it's it was the true. birth of that yeah. as well. So it was all coming into play. So you, you yeah. see where people developed those hard, hard-fought ideologies that they were going to stick by because they got through it. Yeah. Well, and it goes back to, you know, you set this new threshold. Even right, though yep. you're making stupid mistakes, because you didn't die, you think that that's the way to do it. Even though it was a mistake, you just happened to not die on it, you know? So that's your new threshold, and you start to, you know, instill that particular technique or whatever it happens to be, that type of equipment configuration, saying that this is the correct way, because I did a 350-foot dive, and I lived, and I I wore this equipment. And that becomes a new baseline. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I get it. And I just, and I swam down as fast as I could, and... Okay, so in the book, Diving Pioneers and Innovators. By Brett Gilliam. Yeah, so Brett put oh, this but he's book got out. A, he, I would think he would put a picture of himself on it, but that's uh, Bev Morgan on the front, isn't it? It is. Good and, eye, and he, Brando. It's a very good eye. And he, so this <laughs> is a collection of, of many eye. different figures in scuba yeah. diving over the over the last number of decades. I mean, it starts off with Zale Perry. There's a chapter on Stan Waterman, and yes, Bev Morgan, who's on the front. John Chatterton's in here. Bob Hollis is in here. Al Giddings is in here. And then the last chapter is on Brett himself. But yeah, so this is like 20 chapters, 20 different figures over the last number of decades, and goes into good detail, good stories about them, and then a little bit of like a, and he's got different famous people doing questions and, you know, interviews with the people throughout the... Brett Gilliam is one of diving's most enduring personalities and also one of the industry's most successful entrepreneurs. Who wrote it? This is... I know it's by, in his book. This but. is written by uh, Lena Hitchcock. Oh, Lena. So, so he's he's got different people yeah. writing for each person. I think Brett has a lot of chicks. I don't think that is a question. 
Okay, I remember an article where he was writing about staying in the uh, undersea habitat there at the uh, one in Key Largo. Um, oh, you know Jules, what I'm talking about? Yeah, Jules Jules Lodge. yeah it's him and his it's a picture of him and his chick down there, like relaxing in a hotel kind of thing, you know. Right, that's right. what right. it was supposed to be promoting. No, he's, 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 he seems like he'd be a great friend to hang oh, out. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Go, go on a dive trip and yeah. drink some beers with, for sure. But a self-made millionaire by the age of 34, he has invested in nearly every phase of the diving business from resort ownership, liveaboard vessels, cruise ships, training agencies, publishing, manufacturing, and filming. Uh, he began diving at the age of eight in 1959 down in Key West, and he's logged over 17,000 dives at the time that this book was written, I think, which was in the, the 90s. Brett is a logger. He's a dive logger. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. He's uh, we, he, we should get him to cite our logbooks one of these days. I was going to say, I guess if you want to be able to say one day that I have logged over 17,000 dives, you have to log them. But you can't say you've logged that many die no that's why i say i've done (laughs) that's that's my logging loophole well i've logged a million dives of which i've done a (laughs) hundred he began his professional diving career in 71 with a special navy team working with fast attack nuclear submarines which led to other commercial diving work before he started up the Virgin Island Divers Limited, Southern Exposures, a publishing business, and a luxury yacht charter company down in the Virgin Islands. He sold that a few years later and uh, started um, hanging out on his own new yacht that he picked up and uh, began to run a new operation called Ocean Quest International. They had a 500-foot cruise ship that became the world's largest sport diving operation in history. He was elected to Nowy's Board of Directors in the early 90s, became chairman and president in 94. He uh, later formed Technical Diving International, commonly known today as TDI, uh, was president and CEO of UvaTech, took over Deep Tech Magazine, later founded Fathoms Magazine. He's been published in everything from Playboy, Vogue, Outside, National Geographic, Wired, Sports Illustrated, Time, Life. Just a, I mean, a, an extensive resume yeah. in, the, in the diving community. So the, the gal goes through and uh, talks with him for a while uh, about all aspects of his history in diving mm-hmm. and later eventually gets into the whole deep diving thing and asks him, diving deep on air was controversial, but you and a handful of others worked astounding depths. Why? And Brett said to her that, well, first of all, in early days, we simply didn't have access to helium. Even when I worked on the Navy projects, we routinely went to 300 feet before we even considered Heliox. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, back in those early days, it just yeah, it just wasn't there. It wasn't available. So, getting used to the deep diving was just routine. You just built up that exposure it. to yeah. it. Yeah. Later, he says, also in many exotic remote places, it was impossible to obtain helium mixes, and air was the only choice. The alternative would be to simply cancel some of the explorations. For me, I functioned quite fine on air and have been doing so for over 35 years. Brett says, for most divers, 220 feet is a good place to stop on air since they will have reached the 1.6 bar partial pressure of oxygen. But in my case, I have had no problems going deeper. She later asks him, what about narcosis? At these extreme depths, how do you avoid being narcosis? Being narked. Being narked. I don't remember. That's all. (laughs) Simple. I just don't remember. (laughs) I forget what I... I did once unlock the secret of the universe. 
but uh, I was pretty narked and I forgot it. He says narcosis is very subjective to each individual. It affects each diver differently and goes on to talk about his adaptation. He does mention that carbon dioxide is known to accelerate the onset and severity of narcosis and oxygen toxicity. So every effort is made to simply do things slowly, calmly, and with as little hard effort as possible. When I set the record in 1990, even at 452 feet, I was still quite capable of performing higher math problems as well as a series of questions requiring analytical thought process. So much like what Sheck was talking about of prepping for his yeah. dive. It's, it's, it's a mental thing. Yeah, the, the nitrogen narcosis is, is, is high, right? That's going to give you that buzzed, mm-hmm. you know, drunken feeling. But what really takes it over the edge is compounding that with a high CO2 level. And that just exacerbates it to the point of the panic, the paranoia, the terror. The Well, you should also include in there that the CO2 is what triggers your breathing. That's your breathing mechanism. That is what tells your body, I want to breathe. So what happens when your CO2 goes up is your body says, okay, I have to breathe faster. Your body's triggering mechanism being CO2 isn't that I need more oxygen. It's that I need to get rid of the CO2. That's how a healthy individual operates. CO2 being the trigger mechanism to breathe, when it, go, when it gets elevated, you want to breathe faster. So you, breathe, you actually increase your breathing rate, which increases your CO2 production and retention. So it's a vicious cycle, and that's what we talk about in technical diving class and why Trimix is really, really, really friendly. To deep diving because it's easy to move in and out and it keeps your co2 levels down so 20 years or so after Sheck's ill-fated attempt at rescuing archie and ann old brett decided he was going to break the watson gruner record which was still intact at that time pretty much everyone that had attempted in those 20 years resulted in a fatality so gilliam in his book deep diving which we've come to a, a number of times it says that He devoted almost a year of adaptive diving and extensive research in physiological effects of depth on humans and other mammals. His work has included over 600 dives in the previous 11 months with 103 dives below 300 feet. He also made use of recompression chamber dives to experiment with varying high partial pressures of oxygen to simulate the conditions below 400 feet. Like Exley... Gilliam has been professionally involved in deep diving projects for over 20 years. Since 1958, he's logged in excess of 12,000 dives around the world. Over 2,000 of those have been below 300 feet. And he carefully conceived a one-year project to see if the compressed air record could be targeted with an acceptable assumption of risk. He says, quote, In the beginning, I wasn't even concerned with the record dive. I did not even remember what the record was. Later, as I got nearer to it, I went back and looked it up and found that I was getting very close, and that kind of jogged my interest. But I was really just getting sick and tired of listening to supposed experts make sweeping statements about deep diving that were so totally inaccurate that I finally just decided to see what I could do. More to disprove the misinformation that was postulated than to prove anything. Hell, at this point, Noah had Gary Gentile tied up in federal court fighting an injunction prohibiting his access and right to dive the monitor wreck. They had omnipotently informed him that 230 feet was too deep to be dived safely. Here, they're telling one of America's best deep divers that he can't make what for him was a routine dive. What a crock. 
What a crock. So at the time, Gilliam was sponsoring an ocean tech study of dive computers and testing several of the models to their limits with frequent 300-foot-plus dives weekly. The ship had an onboard recompression chamber, and by January of 1990, he decided that his adaptive level and physical training was sufficient for a major attempt at this record. A chance meeting with your old instructor Randy Bohr provided the basis for air tables down to 500 feet. Mm. Brett says, The tables process was involved and required extensive field work. Randy would cut a table with his recommendations and send it to me on the ship. It might take three weeks for me to get it and try it out. Pre-email things. <laughs> He leaned to a more conservative model, and I kept modifying it based on some work that I had done with the Navy. So he got uh, he got Randy Bohr's deco tables for 500 feet, screwed around with them for five months, messing around with the numbers, altered them so that he could do as little amount of deco as possible right. with as much safety that he felt uh, he was comfortable with doing. Brett says, we were completely breaking new ground. No one had ever field-validated air tables to these depths. I felt confident that we were on the right track, and I was having no problems with the extreme profiles I was running. But it was nice to know that I had the chamber right on site. Without that security, I doubt if I would have ever have done diving this deep so aggressively, which okay. which speaks volumes in the differences of, of a lot of, of these approach. dives. Approach, yeah, yeah. Like when you can when you can do a dive, and you know that as soon as you get back on the boat, there's a full on medical staff with a recompression chamber sitting right there for you. There's a huge difference in the amount of risk yeah. that's going into oh, the yeah. dive. Oh, yeah, you've mitigated a lot of the risk. Not not by any means all of the risk. You know, right. But you've got a, versus you've you got got help a, right there. Versus having an hour and a half boat ride, right? And then you got to take a bus, you yeah. know, 45 minutes through, through town yeah, to even dead. get near a hospital yeah. to check in. So they can take your crippled <laughs> so they, up body and shove it in a chamber. Yeah, two yeah. completely different games, right? Brett says, this type of diving is a mental exercise. You have to understand the physiology and mechanisms of narcosis and oxygen toxicity to survive. I have an overwhelming respect for the risks involved and seek to provide every edge I can get through education and planning. He'll make his descent at 100 feet per minute, only slightly overweighted. Ten minutes are spent on the surface prior to the dive with his face in the water, breathing through a snorkel, then... Five minutes more with no mass breathing from a spare tank at 15 feet below the boat, surfacing only long enough to dry off his face and begin his descent. His heart rate and respiration will drop significantly on the dive, 12 to 15 beats a minute, with slow ventilations of one to two per minute are typical. So a normal heart rate for an adult male is 60 to 80, so he's uh, able to drop it down to like one fifth of that yeah really calm in his brain really calm in his mind really getting into that meditative deep yeah trance-like state nearly oh it's kind of like what i do when i have to listen to my wife talk so sometimes it can go on for a long time so what i do is i calm my mind i let my mind empty i think of nothing i really don't think let my mind empty so the words can pass completely through without doing any damage to my intellect so this uh you're not thinking but are you listening exactly the trick is to have an you have to have complete control of your muscle feet uh, facial muscles so that you can look like you're listening (laughs) (laughs) Listening (laughs) yes so i slow my breathing down to like one breath an hour and my heart rate is like it's almost not there 
it's less than one an hour. So it's like, Are you saying you're dead inside? Boom. And then all I hear is, it's almost like how Shaq, you know, sounds talking through the regulator. That's what I hear. <laughs> but, but, but you have to let it pass through without, there's no filter in your brain. You can't catch anything. If your mind catches something, you're done. You're done. So yeah, I know what he's talking about. That took years. Years of practice. Years. Uh, I had been married for over for 25 years, but I've known her much longer than that. But these attributes that you've developed in 25 years of being married. I've been married you, to you her. You could probably do 500 feet on air. I could easily. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, often do. I, uh, I've known... I've uh, been married to my wife for 25 years, but I've known her for 20. (laughs) Uh. The dive site selected is known as Mary's Place in Roatan. He has picked this spot due because of its near vertical wall configuration, offering immediate access to abyssal drop-off depths. Abyssal or abyssal? Oh, yeah. Abyssal. Not abysmal. Not abysmal. Abyssal drop-off depths. Is that like abyssal vacuum cleaner? Put them. I'll be I'll be here all weekend, guys. <laughs> Tip your waitress. <laughs> His gear is kept to a minimum. A single cylinder, pressurized to approximately 100 cubic feet, with a high performance regulator attached with DIN fittings. A backup second stage with two pressure gauge consoles with helium depth gauges calibrated to 500 feet are plumbed into the first stage. Three dive computers with a Casio watch are attached to one console. He discovered by accident that the Bouchot computer will actually read depth digitally to at least 500 feet. He finds digital gauges are far easier to read under the influence of narcosis. The computers will not provide any valid decompression information, but their depth gauges and timing instruments will hopefully survive the pressure. Basically what we like to dive with now. Yeah, so you know, using yeah. a, it's like what a lot of divers do is they'll use a depth gauge, gauge you know, yeah. uh, or they'll use a dive computer for the digital accuracy of the, the time and the mm-hmm. depth, but they're running their own decompression profile or schedule or right. doing whatever they want in their head yeah. and not yeah, following yeah. the computer's decompression schedule. Yeah, but you need a high, you know, highfalutin pressure gauge that won't... I've had pressure gauges... Uh, Go. Are you saying and 400, I 400 feet is no place to have a sticky needle on your <laughs> or, Yeah, SPG? one of those cheapo pressure gauges that you got for, you know, 78 bucks. At, uh, I won't mention any names of mail order dive crap. But, yeah, you, you got to use good stuff if you're going to do that kind of dive. You mean at barrysleisurescuba.com? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Slipping over the wall, he reaches 300 feet in just under three minutes. His descent picks up slightly now, and one computer locks up in error mode at 320 feet. A large remora fish that has followed him since the 150-foot level is becoming distracting. Brett says, here I am at 300 feet plus, dropping like a stone with every nerve and impulse in my body, going through a self-check a million times a minute for any warning sign of severe narcosis impairment or O2 tox. And now I've got some damn friendly fish wanting to play with me. It just kept swimming in and out of vision, and my eyes didn't want to focus on my instruments and the fish simultaneously. I almost had to abort, but it finally moved down towards my thigh and out of my vision path, so I decided to ignore it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. 
I got to the surface. <laughs> I had this for more. <laughs> I was stuck on me. I had a big old. <laughs> I climbed I out of the water. I had a on my. I got a, I climb out of the water. Zale Perry's on the boat says, Is, is that, that a remora in your face? Is that a remora attached to your thigh? Or are you just happy to see me? Approaching 425 feet, he begins to inflate his BC while timing his inhalations so the regulator would only have one volume demand on it at a time. Because his computers are calibrated in feet of fresh water, he has prepared a 3% conversion table so he knows exactly where to stop. In large, bold instructions on a slate is written, 464 feet, stop, exclamation point. He hangs motionless, perfectly suspended about five feet from the wall. Four minutes and 41 seconds have elapsed since leaving the surface. There is plenty of ambient light even this deep. He retrieves a slate with 10 problems involving math, simple word problems, daily event questions, etc. And a Sudoku. That would be, that would be me. I want a Sudoku. And a and a latte. For example, it said, uh, you know, what day is it? What time is it? Three times ten times twenty-two equals. What is your name? What is your favorite color? What is the secret to the universe? What is the airspeed of an African swallow? <laughs> it takes one minute and forty seconds to work out the problems. He has not seen them before, and it takes longer to finish than he had expected. He slips slightly deeper by two feet, and the computer will record 466 feet as the maximum depth. Later, all agree that 452 feet of seawater is a reasonable conversion, a new world record on compressed air by 25 feet. Six minutes and 20 seconds have ticked off. Time's up. Ascent commences at just over 100 feet per minute, and he slows to 60 feet per minute at a depth of 100 feet. The first decompression stop is at 50 feet. One hour and 16 minutes later, he surfaces and breathes pure oxygen at the surface for 20 minutes via demand mask. Although some handwriting flaws are apparent, all the test questions are answered correctly. I've got lousy handwriting anyway, he replies defensively with a laugh. Narcosis is there, but not to a level that I was uncomfortable with. Impairment is specific to individuals. O2 tox is the real unknown. That scares me, but I had no problems at all. I planned this dive to preclude virtually all exertions. Perhaps I'm an exception to nature, but I suspect my conditioning through long-term experience and adaptation due to diving constantly in deep situations plays a far greater role. Calculated risk is the operative phrase here. What is attainable for me is possible because of my commitment to detail and training and total discipline during the actual dive process. I also had a positive mental attitude. I knew I could do it. And yeah. you mentioned that before about how yeah. you, you know, what you take into the water with you. Mentally, it seems to, in my experience, affects the uh, mental state at the bottom when you're doing those deeper dives. Now, in the book, they continue on saying that some critics will pontificate that such dives are reckless, crazy, without purpose. But man's competitive motivation is best exemplified in such individuals. Life is full of challenges. Chuck Yeager breaking the sound barrier to push outside of the envelope. Sir Edmund Hillary climbing Mount Everest because it's there. And now Sheck Exley and Brett Gilliam diving deliberately to bottomless depths because it's not there. <laughs> so moving on into the 90s, there would be other attempts. And both Brett and Sheck beat those records again later on. But, uh, you know, one diver... Attempting the record 
off of St. Croix in the Virgin Islands died. Uh, it says in the book that uh, he had discussed his dive plans to reach 500 feet with friends and had made some earlier dives below 400 feet in the preceding months. On the day he had picked for his record attempt, he departed alone and was never seen again. Later on that same year, a dive store instructor from Hollywood, Florida, apparently had reached a depth of 465 feet while diving in the Gulf Stream, but was reportedly caught in a downdraft current after attempting to abort the dive. He was only aware of his actual depth when he managed to fight his way up to a shallower depth. Several onlookers considered his attempt ill-planned and badly executed. Others regarded his survival as a miracle. No official reports or dive profiles were ever offered, and it has been reported that this individual has ceased deep diving shortly thereafter. Nonetheless, his record was recognized at least as a survival record from an aborted dive until Brett Gilliam went down to 475 feet a year later. The book continues on. The current compressed air record was set by Dr. Dan Mannion on March 18, 1994, when he reached a depth of 509 feet. Mannion had successfully made several other dives that broke the 490 mark down in Clifton's Wall off of Nassau in the Bahamas. Confident after that success, he planned to reach 500 feet the following day. Mannion says, Everything started out fine that day. Sunny skies and a light breeze across the calm ocean with a comfortable temperature in the mid-70s. Gearing up went smoothly, and after a short surface swim, my safety diver and I relaxed on the surface. We went through our checklist for gear and decompression and then descended. Two minutes and 10 seconds into the dive, Mannion had passed 330 feet and his partner waited at 200. Visibility was about 100 feet. I felt in control. I remember having to fin away from the wall due to the mildly increasing slope. At 450 feet, I added air to my BCD in short bursts. As the numbers slowed on my computer, I picked a touchdown spot some 20 feet below me. And that's where the shit hit the fan. <laughs> and he doesn't remember anything from that point on. Really? <laughs> uh, it says that uh, he remembers absolutely nothing from that point in the dive until he found himself ascending in a cloud of foam and bubbles. Cool. The beep of the fast ascent alarm was actually reassuring to me as I came around. <laughs> hey. Hey. I'm still alive. Someone pick up the phone. <laughs> I had no memory of turning the dive or what depth I had reached. My light and my lift bag were gone along with my descent weights. I could see my safety diver at 150 feet easily and I began dumping air from my BCD. We exchanged okay signals as we linked. <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was not until I checked my computers that I finally realized how deep I had been. Later, as I exited the water, I felt sad that I had worked so hard to get to this point and then couldn't remember any of it. I'm positive I have reached my own physiological limits. I have no further plans to push this envelope. That was Dan Mannion? That was Dan Mannion. So he had two monitor two dive computers that had conflicting uh, reports of maximum depth. One said 506, the other said 525, and uh, corrected for seawater would have been 490 and 509. But Mannion was pretty sure that the 509 one was the correct one. Now, although Shaq Exley was in disagreement that somebody who blacked out on a dive should get credit for successfully completing the dive, old Brett is quoted in this book as saying, Dan made it to 490 the day before in complete control. 
and with no problems at all. That's deeper than anyone has made it before. Maybe 500 feet is the physiological wall as well as a physical one. One thing's for sure, I'm probably getting too old to ever find out now. Although, Brett Gilliam would break his own record at the age of 42. Exley's own attempt to reach 1,000 feet on mixed gas in April of 1994 at the age of 45 would ultimately end in tragedy. And we'll have to save that story for another time. For another day. For another dive. Well, holy cow. This has been uh this has been quite the quite the long dive, my man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm ready I'm, to I'm ready to uh, come up. Come on up. Yes. So a couple more but, puffs on this O2. Yeah, let's thumb this. And uh we'll thumb this dive. But uh it was good. It was a you know nice a nice recap of part of the history that has brought us to where we're at right now in the scuba world, which is uh much better place, I think, well, I in think, terms of safety and technique. and Yeah, I think the, although there's still people that are proponents of deep air, I think it's largely gone away. Yeah, and even the ones to. Even the ones that are pro-deep air are not saying that you can go to 400 feet and be just as cool, calm, collected, and, and narcosis-free as you can on a 40-foot reef right. dive. Right. Right? There's, but they're saying it's another way to do it. But I think the people that are going to these extreme depths and trying to do something in deep water, right? You're exploring a cave in 300 feet or you're exploring a shipwreck in three, 400 feet of water, which is way different than doing a six-minute dive right? Just to, just to hit a depth and come back up, right? It's well proven that trying to spend time in those depths on air is absolutely foolish, right? Because it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get you. Yeah. So and like if you're a lot going of the, to these, these guys say you don't even remember it. What's the point? Yeah. You know, but well, I, I mean, I, and I remember a lot of the early guys in, in my early days, you know, hanging around the shop, mm-hmm. you know, they would laugh and joke because they were, they were doing these shipwrecks right. off the thumb and that two, yeah, 220 air, range yeah. and they were doing it on air and they would laugh about, you know, Excuse one of the guys, you know, yeah. one of the guys was routinely his hand never left the anchor line attaches <laughs> <laughs> the whole time but yeah. he was there damn it and yeah. then they would you know laugh and joke about the other guy could never remember any of the dive whatsoever yeah. you know so he'd been on a bunch of them but he didn't know anything about <laughs> any of the dives that they'd ever done but they were doing it you know and they were coming up and you know but to, to go down and and do quality work at that depth on air Right, it's kind of you foolish. Just, yeah, it's, it's foolish. You can't do it. Well, there's still. Right. A, it's like, always like, uh, going to attract egotistical, ego-driven people. That yeah, and the, and there's new records out there, right? Yeah, that you can do these depth records on mixed gas, which is over a thousand feet of depth nowadays, right? Yeah, you're going to get really way down there. Well, hey, listen, we want to make mention to you guys that, that we have Don't Touch My F***ing Shit stickers. These look, these look great on the back of your tanks. PayPal us five bucks and we'll send you on a sticker. Info at thegreatdivepodcast.com. You can just go to PayPal. If you don't have a PayPal account, you can still pluck in a credit card and uh, put the five bucks there. And that'll get us, uh, that'll help us cover shipping and the cost of these overpriced stickers. Yeah, so don't touch my shit. I know what the hell I'm doing. Keep your paws off. And also, we've got brand new t-shirts. We've got them in black. We've got them in blue. 
the Great Dive Podcast. Get yours today, 20 bucks. We'll we have the official ones, so don't be fooled by the imitations out there. There's only one official Great Dive Podcast t-shirt, and we have it. We're the only place you can get it. We are the only place you can get it. 20 bucks. You can uh, PayPal us. We'll send you one of those out for 20 bucks. Uh, help us raise a couple of bucks so, we, so we're not always reaching into our pockets yeah. to uh, keep the show up. Well, tell them not to go to harrysleaserscuba.com either because you can't Barry's. get them. Barry's. Barry and Harry. Barry or Harry's. Either one. Don't go there to get them because you can only get Those the are officials. Knockoffs. Those are knockoffs. These are official. You got a court case. All right, guys. So we really appreciate that. Uh, this was a long, this one's a long time coming, man. So give me long your, hand me your book. All right, log yeah. books are signed. That's all. That's all. That's the long. This is the longest dive of my book so far. Love, Sammy. All right, gang. Hey, we appreciate you listening, and uh, we will get back to you with some more fan favorite episodes next week. Take yeah. care. Take care. Safe diving. take to get in the pioneers diving book are we in there (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna be in the second edition (laughs) we are destined to be in the second edition the pioneers of diving clownery